Polarization is all the rage these days, but can it have a redemptive purpose? I'll try to answer that question as we look at two Tennessee lawmakers who were expelled from the House because of bad behavior. Now, many on the left are saying they were expelled because of race. Well, which one is correct? And then we'll look at Riley Gaines, who was attacked by trans activists while giving a speech at San Francisco State University. Is this just the beginning of the kind of violence we can expect from the trans activist community, especially in the wake of six people being killed at a Christian school in Nashville? And then finally, we'll look at a judge who revoked the FDA approval of Mifeprestone, the abortion pill. Why did he do it? Well, we'll look at that and more today on IndieThinker. Today's show is sponsored by our friends over at the Kevin Blair team with Element Home Loans. Now, if you're looking to secure your family's financial future, you need to do so by investing in the real estate market. And I know what you're thinking. You know, we need hard assets that can't necessarily be messed with by the government and interest rates are constantly on the rise. Well, of course, you know that if there were to be some kind of global catastrophe in terms of the World Bank or anything else like that, gold will have little value, much like the real estate market. So the reality is, is one thing you can always bet on is that people will need a home and it's a great way to secure your family's financial future. But in order to see that, you need to go to kbmtg.com and you need to get pre-approved for a home loan today. Now, by going to Kevin Blair team, you know you're not just getting great customer service, but you're also investing in a company that cares about the things that you care about. That's why they invest in this show. So go to kbmtg.com today and get pre-approved for your future home. Welcome to the show. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Now, I argued on the show last week that Donald Trump's arraignment was nothing less than a shiny object to distract from the Nashville shooter who killed six people at a Christian school. This trans activist can clearly be said, in my mind, to be a construction of the left. Now, I've argued this on the show in the past, but just briefly, I'll say that I think it's it's at least fair to state that when Democrats and the media join in this rhetorical kind of banter about trans people being the soul of the nation, which is exactly what our president said on Twitter, that trans people are the soul of our nation and then that this, this nation was built upon trans ideology, which of course is quite an anachronistic uh, tweet there from our president. But Mr. Ice Cream for Brains can't be, you know, can't be expected to think far beyond what he's going to have for, for breakfast. Now, nonetheless, I think that it's fair to suggest that Democrats have created the kind of animosity that that exists between, let's say, trans activists in Tennessee, because Tennessee just recently made it illegal for kids to be mutilated. And so, of course, now Tennessee gets in the crosshairs, literally, of trans activists, and this kind of violence takes place. But the media is quick to run cover for the Democratic Party so that that heat doesn't get thrown their way. And we quickly turn away from the mourning families from this uh, from this incident, and we turn our attention to Donald Trump, the all-consuming fire of the the media, and it turns our attention away from the Democrat complicity. Now, um, I, I think it's fair to suggest that the, the left is really good at misdirection. The left is really, really good at creating shiny objects so that we get distracted and don't really think about the implication of what's really going on. And of course, they have been famous for using race in this same way. The only question is, will you fall for it? And so just recently, two Tennessee lawmakers were expelled from the House because they 
participated in a, let's just call it an insurrection, as I'm showing you on the screen now. So as you can see, these insurrectionists of sorts uh, were attacking police officers, barging into the legislative chamber in the Tennessee Capitol and disrupting what was going on there. And they were doing so in cooperation with three people, Gloria Johnson, Justin Pearson, and Justin Jones. And because of that, these three were up for expulsion. Now, Gloria Johnson did not get thrown out, but Justin Pearson and uh, Justin Jones did. I think you gonna get away with it. Not up in here! Not up in here! And the suggestion is that because there was uh, two black men that were expelled and one white woman that was not expelled, of course, this is racism. Well, let me just give you the argument here that the reason these men were expelled is because they broke house decorum rules. Now, it is important that we understand that the law and justice Democrats, which don't really exist, are so keen to make sure that we pay attention to the rules when it comes to January 6th and make sure that our president is held accountable for his rhetoric in creating what took place in January 6th, even though he wasn't even present at those affairs. But when we have three lawmakers in Tennessee who are not just a part of stoking this insurrection, but present during the insurrection, of course, it doesn't seem too odd that we would have some people that would think that this breaks house decorum rules. So, of course, they were voted on and expelled. Now, let me just make one more statement, because the, the real question comes, why was Gloria Johnson, this white woman, allowed to get away with this, but these young black men were not? Of course, this is because Tennessee is a red state and obviously racist. Well, Hopefully, you can at least agree with what I showed you on the screen, because your lying eyes don't deceive you, that what took place in Tennessee was in every way what the left would consider an insurrection. Therefore, the only question is, why was Gloria Johnson not also thrown out? And so it's just one Republican in that Tennessee legislative body that needs to be held accountable then, because it was just one Tennessee Republican who said that uh, that that Gloria Johnson should be safe from being expelled, and that's why she is still in her position today. So if there is racism in uh, that Tennessee legislative body, it is because of that one Republican who voted to keep Gloria Johnson. And I'll join you Democrats in saying that one Republican should be held accountable for his very, very poor and disgusting decision-making because unanimously they all should have been thrown out. But that didn't stop the news media from castigating the whole state of Tennessee as a bunch of backwater racists who want to bring back Jim Crow. And of course, it didn't stop Kamala Harris from getting in the way of everybody trying to go to work by arriving in Nashville to give a wonderful speech about these, these lawmakers who were expelled. So here's her doing that. And we have seen that here in Tennessee over the last couple of weeks. We have seen over 7,000 students and young leaders go to the Capitol to talk about what John Lewis and Diane Nash talked about, the importance of freedom, the importance of liberty, the importance of respecting the right of all people to live where they receive dignity, where they live in a place that they can be free from harm. Okay, so just a couple of things here based upon that magnificent speech. And I'll, I'll give her this. She wasn't consistently using tautology over and over again. It's the time for time to be time. So she actually spoke in coherent, rational English sentences this time. 
However, she made a couple of mistakes. The students and the trans activists that showed up in the wake of six people being murdered at a Christian school were not standing up for freedom. They certainly weren't standing up for religious liberty and, and the, the hate crime that just took place by a trans activist. No, they were standing up for the right to dictate what happens in the Constitution and to dictate what happens with the Second Amendment to the Constitution. They were not advocating for freedom. They were advocating the direct opposite of freedom. They were advocating that the government, yet again, get involved in controlling what happens with guns in this state. Now, I'm not going to get into the gun control discussion today. I've done that in the show in the past, and you can certainly look at past shows. I just want to simply say this, that it's interesting to me that we're going to quickly equate a bunch of white kids attacking police officers in the Tennessee Capitol as people who are within the lines of Martin Luther King Jr. and and, uh, and and other civil rights leaders. But of course, this doesn't have anything to do with civil rights. And it certainly didn't have anything to do with life. Now, I'll give it to Kamala. In the past, she has conveniently overlooked the right of life, uh, you know, the, the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And she's just gone with liberty and the pursuit of happiness because she has seen the inherent contradiction in a party that wants to mutilate children out of the womb or wants to kill them, murder them while they're in the womb. And so here she she doesn't make that mistake. She she talks about life here. But of course, it's interesting. She wants to go there and speak to a bunch of people who have their lives. She went all the way to Nashville to do that, to advocate for and to defend Justin Pearson and Justin Jones, but oddly didn't take even a second of her time to go meet with the families who lost loved ones in the Nashville massacre by this trans activist. That's so interesting. Sure seems to be that there's kind of a double standard going on here. And I won't let you forget the fact that in the wake of this trans activist killing these six people, this is what we got from uh, the esteemed boss of Kamala Harris and our Ice Cream for Brains president. This, This was the press conference given after these kids were killed And Joe Biden takes the stage to give us his best comedy routine. Here's that. My name is Joe Biden. I'm Dr. Joe Biden's husband. And I ate Jenny's ice cream, chocolate chip. I came down because I heard there was chocolate chip ice cream. By the way, I have a whole refrigerator full upstairs. I think I'm kidding. I mean, honestly. How, how can you look at this man and not just absolutely slap yourself in the head if you voted for him? I'm, this is probably one of the most morally egregious things I, I think I've ever seen a president do. And I was around for Bill Clinton and Monica. So I don't think I'm overstating here to, to just simply say that there is a time for polarization and there is a time for making sure that we hold people accountable for the kind of egregious actions that ha- that we see taking place in the very present. I say this especially to Christians because we, by, by and large, have taken this middle ground position of just trying to remain apolitical. And we say things like, don't be political and just focus on the gospel. Just, just focus on Jesus. It's just that simple. Just talk about Jesus constantly. Well, I want to suggest to you that that has been nothing more than a recipe for disaster and a recipe for the kind of things that we're seeing right in front of us. Because in the meantime, there are people who want to speak like Kamala Harris and Joe Biden and who want to control the narrative by their speech while the church remains eerily silent. 
And God forbid that be the case. See, I'm creating today a moral case for polarization. I hate politics. I don't like talking about politics, except insofar as paying attention to the fact that there are certain political things that touch all of our lives in such a way that it creates a dangerously charged rhetoric. It also creates a future for our kids that that I don't want to co-sign. And it also creates a reality right now in the present where people were being extorted and lied to and race is being used as a cudgel to do so. All of these things are morally egregious and they demand that a righteous people stand up and say something about it and do something about it. Now we can do that by speaking out and by letting our voice be heard, but we're going to have to make a decision. Do we believe what Jesus said? that he came to bring a sword and not peace. Now, Jesus brought peace in the sense that he wanted to bring peace on earth and goodwill toward men, but he also did not bring peace in a very distinct way. He didn't bring peace because he was not calling us to say peace, peace in a time of war. Now, of course, for those liberals out there who want to take me literally, I'm not talking about literal warfare. I'm talking about a war of ideas. See, the left wants to talk about diversity of skin color, which I could care less about, except insofar as it provides diversity of deep thought. And ultimately, this is what Jesus is saying when he says, I came to bring a sword and not peace. What he's saying is, is that there's a difference between light and dark, good and evil, right and wrong. And the people of light, the people of God, must stand on the side of light and must be vocal when there are issues that they must stand up for. Now, I'm saying this to all of you out there, whether you're Christian or not, is that there is a time for polarization. And that time is when we're talking about gross evil immorality. While some of us still wish to stick our head in the sand and act as though evil doesn't exist, or if it does exist, it is only embodied in the devil Donald Trump, there are those of us who are a little bit more wise than that, who realize that evil is way more ubiquitous, and if co-signed by a political party, will actually lead to the destruction of our nation. I actually like this nation, and I think we should stand up for it, which is why polarization is a good thing. We need a group of people who are willing to stand up for their convictions and fight for their convictions and hold people accountable when they do that which is wrong. And that's what we see with Kamala Harris. That's what we see with Joe Biden. And that's what we saw in Justin Pearson and Justin Jones. And we even saw it in Gloria Johnson. So yeah, I think all three of them should be thrown out, and they should be thrown out because of what they did, not because of their skin color. Don't let, let the leftist media lie to you about what's going on here. We're going to have to make a decision. Do we appreciate the power of polarization to create a nation that actually stands up for something and actually stands for something? So whether it's the insurrection double standard or whether it's just the fact that these guys broke house decorum rules or the fact that the left consistently wants to galvanize a group of people who are disturbed mentally and wants to consistently create a frame in which they can get away with these kind of things by them not actually having to be held accountable, I think it's important for us to make sure we take a stand and important for us to do so even in ways that are polarizing to our neighbor. Yeah, we want to win them, but you'll never win anybody at the expense of truth. And we'll look at that in our top stories today. After two of the most violent weeks in recent memory, I think it's important for us to pay attention. So a trans person killed six people in, at a Christian school in Nashville. Multiple protests erupted in major cities around America during Transgender Day of Violence. I mean, sorry, Transgender Day of Visibility. 
the police just recently stopped a trans 19-year-old person who had planned on shooting up schools in and around Colorado. A speaker was attacked in New Zealand at a rally to uh, to try to reclaim female spaces. And, of course, this, this feminist was attacked by trans people in New Zealand. And then a young man was beaten on the streets in Canada by a trans crowd. And, of course... You may have seen the video by now. Riley Gaines, a young woman, a collegiate athlete, was attacked by trans people at San Francisco State University. Here's a little bit of the footage here. Now, because it is so chaotic, I'll try to explain it for those who are listening. Essentially, you see Riley Gaines being rushed off the stage after she got done speaking about her experience with Will slash Leah Thomas um, and how this man went from 400th in men's sports to first place in women's sports and how he began to uh, disrobe publicly in front of, of women because of his sexual fetish. Now, um, she goes on in this speech and then is attacked and hit two times in the face by a trans activist. Now, she's being rushed off the stage, and you can hear people saying trans rights or human rights and yelling wildly and demonically in her face. as she's being escorted away from the police. And you can see this gleeful worship of the trans cult as this individual is being rushed into a back room where then they will later talk about uh, extorting money from Riley Gaines in order for her release from that room where they were all, uh, you know, maintaining a watchful gaze over that room for her to come out yet again. So I think this is really, really interesting because... There's, there's a lot to, to suggest about why trans activism is becoming so radical in the present, as I've already mentioned at the beginning of the show. But I will show you here one more way in which I think this is happening, because just recently, the vice president of student affairs over at San Francisco State University spoke out against what took place at the school, and she had some pretty interesting words to say, so I'll share that with you now on the screen. And she said this, Dear SF State community, today San Francisco State finds itself again at the center of a national discussion regarding freedom of speech and expression. Actually, dear friend, uh, you were at the center of a national discussion about trans violence, not freedom of speech. See, this doesn't really have anything to do with freedom of speech. Riley Gaines was there because she was exercising her right of freedom of speech. What this actually is about, and it's interesting that she framed it this way uh, so dishonestly, what this is actually about is the leftist desire to destroy freedom of speech and do so violently. She continues, let me begin by saying clearly, the trans community is welcome and belongs at San Francisco State University. Further, our community fiercely believes in... Unity, connection, care, and compassion, and we value different ideas even when they are not our own. Well, this is the problem. No, you don't. You're willing to attack somebody who has a different point of view. But will that make it in the letter is the real question, right? So uh, this is all obvious at this point in time, but, but I want you to be very careful to listen to the rest of this letter and whether or not it actually states anything about the violence that took place there. So San Francisco State is regularly noted as one of the most diverse campuses in the United States. This is what makes us gators, and this is what makes us great. Um, no, it isn't. What makes you great is that you're creating a space where intellectual ideas can be discussed without people violently opposing different ideas. See, you are, in point in fact, the exact opposite of great. 
you are mediocre. Um, but maybe because the left doesn't believe in meritocracy anymore and doesn't believe meritocracy exists, it's okay to be mediocre, which is exactly why they don't believe in meritocracy anymore, because it's an excuse for mediocrity. Um, and, and so it's mediocre in the sense that uh, they want to attack anybody that disagrees with them, and they are not willing to create a space where intellectual discussion can take place. Of course, we know that's the, the greatest bastion of silly, dumb people who don't really want to discuss anything from an intellectual perspective, but it goes on. But we may also find ourselves exposed to divergent views and even views we find personally abhorrent. So again, guess who she's talking about here? Not those who wish to use violence to suppress free speech, but those who wish to actually use free speech to just disagree with people. So that's what's abhorrent here. These encounters have sometimes led to discord, anger, confrontation, and fear. We must meet this moment and unite with a shared value of learning. Thank you to our students who participated peacefully in Thursday evening's event. It, looks, it took tremendous bravery to stand in a challenging space. No, it doesn't. Please quit. This is a little bit of a soapbox, but please quit letting the left define bravery for you because they're going to turn you into a bunch of dumb, gutless cowards. It does not take bravery to listen to somebody who disagrees with you. As a Christian, I love listening to Sam Harris. I love listening to Richard Dawkins. I think their views are mostly idiotic when it comes to religion, but they're brilliant men otherwise. But it actually strengthens me and it makes me better as a Christian to listen to people like Richard Dawkins and to listen to people on YouTube like the Cosmic Skeptic and to listen to their ideas against Christianity because ideas are not violence. Violence is violence. This feels difficult because it is difficult. As you reflect, process, and begin to heal, please remember that there are people. To receive our Gator community, including faculty, staff members, coaches, and mentors who are here to support you, campus resources are also available. Equity and community inclusion, counseling and psychological services, dean of students services. The well-being of the San Francisco State campus community remains our priority. Yeah, well, interestingly enough, not the well-being of the speakers who come to your campus. Now, I think it's so interesting that the people who were hurt by these, these words are the ones who were really hurt, not Riley Gaines. And we are here to heal you, peace child. Uh, if you need some equity and community inclusion and you need a counselor, you need somebody to talk to you about diversity, equity, and inclusion and heal those broken wounds inside of you, they're here to do it for you because we believe in creating a peaceful environment where trans activists are allowed to destroy anybody that disagrees with them. So great sympathy for the attackers, uh, not so much for Riley Gaines. And this leads me to a final conclusion. And this is why polarization is so important here. The school has to be sued, 100%. This person who wrote this letter, uh, which her name is Jamila Moore, we'll get to her in just a second. Uh, this is the kind of thing that exacerbates the evil that's been going on in our nation. Uh, when an administration mainstreams evil, there has to be repercussions. So, one, I, I, along with others, have said the San Francisco state has to be sued, and I absolutely believe that's true. Uh, but I think we need to go one step further. For those of us who um, are not necessarily going to be involved in a suit uh, that Riley Gaines would bring against 
uh, the school, I think we can go one step further and we can reach out to the writer of this letter that is so concerned with the emotional wounds of people who had to listen to free speech that she didn't find a way to condemn the people who created the violence that took place at San Francisco State. Um, I think we need to reach out to our friend Jamila Moore here. And by the way, you should know, not only is she the Dean of Student Affairs, but also she is the author of Race and College Admissions, a Case for Affirmative Action. Surprise, I bet she didn't know she was a crazy loony leftist. She's responsible for establishing the campus's anti-racist framework you never would have guessed, a program to support Latinx students, a word that no Latin person uses, a word that was forced upon uh, uh, Latinos by, by the left. Um, and uh, she works to uh, create pathways at San Francisco State, and she co-chairs the San Mateo Community College District's Basic Needs Task Force. About the only thing that actually seems uh, useful is that very last one, and I can almost guarantee you that it's, that it's not. Uh, that they're going to uh, simply, simply do so on the basis of race rather than on the basis of need and on the basis of, of human sympathy. So, so there's only one thing you can do here. You can, uh, well, maybe two things, I suppose. Uh, you can reach out to our friend Jamila Moore and you can let her know what you think about the letter she just sent. Of course, you can reach her at morej at sfsu.edu. I would highly encourage you to write your email today and to do so to extend your warm condolences for Riley Gaines, which didn't seem to be expressed in that letter. And then you can also reach out to the school by calling 415-338-2032. I would highly encourage you to, as much as possible, inundate um, Jamila Moore with kind, soft, beautiful words, nurturing her and helping her feel exactly what she needs to feel based upon the letter that she wrote to the students at San Francisco State University. Now, the reason I speak with this kind of just very direct language is that Christians are very, very squeamish about this kind of thing. Well, they say, well, this is, this is just paying them back. This is fighting evil with evil. Dear friend, no, it's not. This is what standing up for truth looks like. I know you haven't done it very much, and therefore it's a little bit foreign to you, but this is what actually fighting fair looks like in fighting for what is right looks like. The left is just way better than Christians at it. We have squeamishly and puritanically sat behind our Bibles without actually opening them, and we actually haven't taken the time to actually stand up and do anything that would actually truly make a difference. Now, if we can actually, instead of putting that Bible down, actually just open it a little, we'll see people like the prophets, and we'll see people like Jesus, you know, that Jesus guy, the one, you know, Jesus Christ, where we get our name Christian from. We'll see people like Jesus who were actually fighting against this very kind of egregious, sinful immorality. So I know we love to quote the fact that Jesus was against the Sadducees and the Pharisees because they were in the religious community. Well, what about the scribes? What about people who were in the higher echelons of the elitist circles in places of the influence in society? Jesus also spoke against that kind of stuff. And when a person is attacked, hopefully you as a Christian can find enough moral gumption to realize this is a polarizing issue. This is an issue where we need to be heard and it will not be tolerated. Now, will it make a difference? Who knows? But I know this. Silence is deafening when evil is on the prowl. So we need to let our voice be heard, and especially this is the case with what is taking place in Texas, because if we're worried about Riley Gaines being attacked, we need not to forget that on a daily basis, babies are being murdered in the womb all across this nation.
Now, a judge just took action into his own hands in a very kind of shocking case where he revoked the FDA approval of mifepristone, which is also known as the abortion pill. So it's a way to get a chemical abortion. So here's what the LA Times said about this Texas judge. So abortion pill ruling Texas judge revokes FDA approval, but another judge contradicts him. A federal judge in Texas delivered a major blow to reproductive rights advocates Friday ordering a hold on the Food and Drug Administration approval of mifeprestone, an abortion medication used in the United States since 2000. Now, you may be asking yourself, so if this has been in use since 2000, what's the deal here? Well, pay attention and I'll show you. The ruling, which does not go into effect for seven days and is being appealed by the Biden administration, could effectively halt FDA approval of the medication nationwide, including in California and other states where abortion is legal. But soon after the Texas decision, a federal judge in Washington state issued a contradictory ruling ordering the FDA not to make any changes to the availability of the abortion pill. The dueling ruling set up a largely unprecedented legal battle, likely to reach the U.S. Supreme Court over the FDA's rigorous medication approval process. Yeah. Thank you, LA Times, for the editorial. The FDA's rigorous medication approval process, just like they did with uh, consenting to double mastectomies and the removal of sex organs in, uh, in children. So mifepristone is part of a two-drug combination used in more than half of all U.S. abortions, particularly those conducted early in pregnancy. So hopefully we can see by that just simply that uh, the the big pharma peeps out there that uh, clearly seem to have friends in the Democratic side of the aisle would hate for their lion's share of the economic prosperity that comes at the uh, expense of a pile of dead babies. Uh, they would hate to lose out on that money, and so they want to continue to keep on getting what it, uh, dispensing out what is one of the mainstream ways we abort children in in the United States. Now, here's the thing that you need to know because this is what we're here for at Indie Thinker to try to help you think for yourself, giving you a different perspective, but also giving you the truth, which the media is not going to give you here. Certainly, you won't get it from the LA Times. Now, the reason the judge overruled this was not merely because he was an activist judge, not merely because he was a plant from Donald Trump, uh, but he did so because of health concerns, because what the FDA wants to do now is allow the abortion pill to be widespread. Why do they want to do that? Because what they want to do is overturn the effects of Roe v. Wade being overturned, and they want to make abortion more ubiquitous. So they want to infiltrate, especially in these states, where um, Roe v. Wade uh, was overturned and had the most effect because these states, like in Tennessee, went back to their original kind of abortion laws, which say, hey, after you got a heartbeat, can't kill the baby, man. Sorry. Uh, the heartbeat is not a, not a, not a fabrication of, of uh, pregnancy resource centers, like Stacey Abrams once said. But actually, that heartbeat means that there's a living human being, not a tumor, inside of that, uh, that belly of yours. And if you leave it alone, it won't metastasize into a really huge tumor that kills you. It actually metastas, it, it'll grow into a, into a baby uh, that could potentially change the world. Uh, so what they want to do is they want to make the pill more ubiquitous for more people, especially in states where abortions have been largely made uh, illegal. And the, the judge has a problem with this because mifepristone was originally not allowed by the FDA to be used for this kind of willy-nilly abortion. See, mifepristone needed to uh, be issued after a doctor had seen the patient, because mifepristone actually has a bunch of incredibly dangerous side effects. So before this legal battle um, 
took place before COVID made mifepristone more ubiquitous and allowed in many states for people to just call, get get it um, without the supervision of a doctor, and they could just get it sent to their house. Or before, you know, you were able to just pick it up in a CVS or a Walgreens or a Walmart, for crying out loud. Before any of that happened, the FDA was actually saying things like this. And this is according to an FDA study of the 2,660 unique U.S.-only uh, codable adverse events reported submitted for mifepristone between 2000 and 2016, 73% of these codable issues with mifepristone were classified as severe. So again, between 2000 and 2016, before COVID made the pill as ubiquitous as it is now, and by the pill, I mean the abortion pill, not um, not birth control, uh, 73% of the 2,666 uh, calls about this about this pill were because it had severe side effects in those who took it. 20% were life-threatening and 0.75% resulted in death. Uh, so morbidity was primarily attributed to retained products of conception and hemorrhage for which women with a gestational age greater than 49 days are at higher risk. So in other words, if you have had the baby for longer than a month, you're at higher risk of this having a real, real problem. And then there were 1,639 bleeding events, including 466 life-threatening events, 642 severe events, and 106 moderate events, and an additional 424 reports of bleeding were uncodable because of insufficient information. So I, I could keep on reading all of this FDA report to you that took place between 2000 and 2016, but hopefully you get the picture that there were tons of adverse side effects that were not even reported as a result of mifepristone. But back then, the FDA was warning that the pill needs to, the abortion pill needs the supervision of a doctor because of the the side effects potentially with this pill. And so again, all of that information is linked down below in the description of this podcast. But the idea is this, the FDA wants to continue to dispense the pill without the supervision of a doctor. And this is incredibly dangerous. And this is why this judge in Texas said, no, you're, you're not going to do this. And why this eventually is going to potentially become the next big Supreme Court battle and the battle for life. And so we've got a small victory now that potentially may turn into a much larger victory. Um, but, but I think we need to be really, really clear about a couple of things here. So why is big freaking pharma still taken seriously in this country? Have you guys not been listening to anything since the pandemic? I mean, have you guys not been listening about how they are so ready to throw kids into gender clinics so that they can make tens of thousands of dollars off these kids? The videos that the Daily Wire released about Vanderbilt and how they were talking about how much money they can get from gender clinics should be enough to be morally egregious to anybody. But here again, we have big pharma willing to make a buck at the expense of morality. And we're not even talking about the morality of abortion here. We're talking about the morality of women who need to be under the supervision of a doctor if they were ever to take this life-sucking, destructive pill. These godless money-sucking ingrates are in conjunction with the left politicians promoting these kind of things. And, and we, need to, we need to be really clear about something. So I'm all for women's rights. I'm also for the right for women to actually be protected in the womb. Women's rights doesn't include killing your baby. But pushing that aside, 
This issue is not primarily about abortion access. It has everything to do with greed and government corruption. That's why you should have a problem with this. Even if you are pro-choice, which I've got plenty of shows to tell, you, to tell you why that that's a morally egregious position and you shouldn't fall for the rhetoric. But I understand. Uh, Christians have been silent for so long that very many of you still classify yourself as pro-choice Christians and you don't see the morally egregious contradiction in that. And so it's perhaps a show for another day. But, but I hope you can see beyond your blind addiction to the Democratic Party and their idiotic talking points that you can see that the greed of the government to push, push forth a pill that could actually be very dangerous to women, regardless of the side effects, for the sake of mere ideology, is, is a real problem. It, this makes this morally abhorrent, that not only are we talking about the adverse side effects to women, but also the obvious side effect for a baby. Now, I will make one abortion argument here. A lot of people say, uh, you know, a lot of Christians say, uh, you know, we should speak out about uh, social injustice. And the social justice warrior Christian says, you know, we need to speak up for feminists and, and women's rights, and we need to speak out against racism in this country. You know, we have a long, rich history of speaking out against racism in the Christian community, especially with the Second Great Awakening, uh, because there were, were Christian pastors who said, hey, the Bible says men are made in the image of God, and, and we, we need to understand that you can't believe that a man is made in the image of God if he's going to be your slave. And there's a moral contradiction here, and it's time for moral reform. And, and it is only right for Christians in the present to look to the past and realize how Christians stood up for these kind of things and say, well, uh, racism isn't uh, inherently a gospel issue. Well, of course it's a gospel issue. We need to stand up for injustice wherever we find it, because a threat to justice anywhere is a, is a threat to justice everywhere. Well, okay. I've argued similar things on my show before. One of the problems with slavery is not only is that it is steeped in racism, but that it actually murdered and raped and, and destroyed the lives of black people. You know what else does? You know what, you know what else is designed to kill people and to destroy their lives? Abortion. There is no greatest, greater justice issue in America right now than abortion, which is why Christians need to take a stand and why they need to not let it pass them by. But of course, if we're not really willing to understand what authentic Christian faith is really all about, and that's whether you're a Christian or not, we're going to continue to make problems like, like we'll see in our final segment today, Bible Study with Democrats. Oh, God of pronouns. I want to circle back to our friends Justin Pearson and Justin Jones. And Justin Pearson gave a speech about his participation in the insurrection at our Capitol and then subsequent expulsion. Now, he gave this speech prior to Easter Sunday. And so channeling all false teachers and heretics of the past, he gave a stirring, rousing speech about, about racism and his black Jesus. So here's that. Friday, the government decided that my Savior Jesus... A man that was innocent of all crimes except fighting for the poor, fighting for the marginalized, fighting for the LGBTQ community, fighting for those who are single mothers, fighting for those who are ostracized, fighting for those pushed to the periphery. My, my savior, my black Jesus, he was lynched by the government on Friday. And they thought that all hope had been lost. All oh, the, 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 the outside, it rained and it thundered and, and everybody said everything was over and it was some black women who stood at the cross. 
It was some black women who watched what the government did to that boy named Jesus. They were witnesses as you have been witnesses to what is happening in the anti-democratic state of Tennessee. They were witnesses to what was going on. And I got to tell you, it got quiet on Saturday. Yes, I tell you, it was a sad day on Saturday. All hope seemed to be lost. Representatives were thrown out of the state house. Democracy seemed to be at its end. Seemed like the NRA and gun lobbyists might win. Now, this speech is hilarious in some ways and, more importantly, mostly sad in some morally egregious ways. And one of the reasons is this, is that, like, we have Marjorie Taylor Greene equating, you know, Trump to Jesus because he's a martyr for the cause. But I have never heard Donald Trump actually call himself Jesus. I think even he has enough self-respect not to equate himself to to Jesus. You know, let other people do that about you if they want to be fully mistaken. But at least Donald Trump has never done that about himself. But here we got Justin Pearson telling us, you know, on the eve of Easter that he is basically Jesus and he's being he's being attacked because he's got nail scars in his hands and in his feet and uh, apparently crown of thorns shoved on his head and his black Jesus. You do realize I die for your sins, right? Now, I've talked before on the show about the epitome of idolatry, that secularism, one of the big problems of secularism is not the absence of religion, but that you twist and distort religion to be whatever you want. And so here we have that again. Isn't it interesting that when the trans person wants to, um, especially the trans man, wants to come up with a god, they say, well, God is a woman, even though uh, God is classified throughout the scripture as a man and has masculine traits. Uh, but but here we have that same kind of hypocrisy. We have Jesus now is black because Justin Pearson wants him to be black. So just to be clear, the Jesus of the Bible is not what we're talking about here. We're talking about the Jesus of, of Justin Pearson. Every real Christian on the planet understands that the real problem here in terms of people wanting to create a false Jesus is not on the right. Is that there is no, like there's no contingent of evangelical Christians or fundamentalist Christians that believe in a blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus. It doesn't exist. It's not real. But you know what is real? What we just saw Justin Pearson doing creating a black Jesus. So it's obviously 100% hypocritical in that he's doing the very thing he's claiming other people people do. Uh, but, uh, but he's doing so because uh, he comes from a tradition of social justice warriorism and black liberation theology and not the authentic gospel found in Christian scripture. It's a way in which people take a lens um, outside of scripture, place it, and then jam it into the Bible and then want to try to force their view onto the Bible. So in other words, they use Jesus for their own political purposes. And here's the real point at the end of the day, beyond the fact that Justin Pearson wants to call himself Jesus because he's completely egotistical and he wants to create a Jesus in his own imagination. The real problem at the end of the day is that what Justin Pearson just did is blasphemy. Now I know there's a lot of non-Christians who watch this show. Um, there are secular people, people who don't believe in Jesus and all of that stuff. But here we have a man who is professing his own faith in Christ. So now let's go ahead and put that on the table and say the Christ that we know is found in Scripture and not in the little pea brain of Justin Pearson. So he just pretties up his self-worship with Christianese talk. So the real people using Christianese are not the fundamentalists and not the the Christian evangelical, but of course it's the leftist Christian who wants to use and abuse Christian language for their own blasphemous political gain. And here's the point at the end of the day. 
if this man, if that's what you want to call this individual, would blaspheme his own faith, would twist and pervert scripture, even if you don't have a love for scripture, I hope you understand that if he would do that to a holy book and to a, uh, a holy faith, that by the way, he wouldn't do to Islam, he would never get up and try to pervert and distort Islam for his own personal gain. But because he will do it to Christianity, then you need to know something about this man. If he will distort and pervert truth for his own personal ego's sake, then what won't he do? He will lie to your face. He will steal. He will cheat. There is no moral standard that this individual won't break if he's willing to blaspheme a holy biblical religion for the sake of his own personal gain. So this is a person that cannot be trusted. I suggest that we actually get back to a golden rule that, you know, that do unto others as you would want them to do unto you. And I say this, if Donald Trump broke the law in this Alvin Bragg case with Stormy Daniels, if he broke the law and he did abuse campaign finances, I say he should pay. But will you say that on the left? Will you also be fair and say that if Justin Pearson and Justin Jones broke house rules of decorum, that they too should be held accountable for that and kicked out? Until we finally get back to a moral standard that is not purely arbitrary, we're going to be fighting back and forth. And perhaps that's really where polarization comes at the end of the day. Not in people disagreeing on right and wrong, but ultimately that we are consistently fighting for our own right to establish our own morality. If we could actually get back to the place where we can use common sense moral ethics, we might actually then be able to really take moral positions beyond just our own egotistical grandstanding. So let's be clear here. Justin Pearson isn't reading from the Bible. He's reading from the Communist Manifesto. And Justin Jones and Justin Pearson, they're not victims of the system. They can defend themselves. The real victims, well, they look like kids in gender clinics, and they look like babies in the womb. So if you want to stand up for something, if you want to spark moral outrage about something, it's high time you started standing up for that. And that's worth polarizing over, as is the truth in a lot of categories. But that's all the time we have for today. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. And most importantly, go with God.